let's be honest, we're all, all overly stimulated. There's so much content out there. There are so many brands out there. So you have to be incredibly thoughtful about how you're breaking through what your narrative is and what your content is. And most importantly, ensuring that there's a connective tissue between all of these different components and all of your creative and messaging and the strategies. How do you win in the most competitive markets on the planet when you're facing massive, well-funded, established brands and when you're in a classic zero-sum game? Well, John, the best way, of course, differentiate, be different, disrupt, get my attention, create a unique, compelling offer, bring it to the market in a distinctive and memorable way, but it's not always so simple. Oh, I, the way you said it there was so simple. I mean, just one, two, yeah. three, three steps to success. Amazing. Well, we know that it's not. In a mature mobile marketplace, pretty much every app has this challenge. That's why today we're chatting with an expert in differentiation, branding, marketing, and customer engagement. And I would also add making some waves, John. Her name is Pearl Servat, and she is the head of brand marketing at Visible, the first all-digital wireless carrier in the U.S. And this challenger wireless carrier that I'm sure you've heard of is taking on incumbents with a simpler, more price and experience accessible offer. And some might even say better service. But it's not just the service, John. It's the brand story. That's what we're here for. Pearl has shaped the success at Visible that has now been named to Fast Company's most innovative companies list and recognized as the best telecom brand in Adweek's Brand Challenger Awards. So it is raking them in. Adweek Awards. Wow. That's yeah. always a big deal for CMOs and brand leaders and everything like that. So got to finish the intro here. Before Visible, <laughs> Pearl worked at Paramount Pictures, which is pretty cool. She led marketing for a production company that did work with, you know, you'd never heard these names before. You know, companies like Netflix, who's that? YouTube, Amazon, never heard of these, but pretty impressive. She's a trailblazer in understanding how brands and creators can work together to engage audiences. Welcome, Pearl. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for the very kind introduction. <laughs> it's a great introduction, but it's an even cooler career path, right? I mean, you could be and should be Pearl in film or music, and you were. But you went, and I will say it, rogue, <laughs> and took your talents to telecom. You moved from L.A. to Denver, literally. So tell us what happened. Uh, thank you, Peggy, and thank you again, um, both of you, for having me. So I spent a larger part of my career in the entertainment industry. Uh, I worked with PM, at PMKBNC under Pat Kingsley initially, who is one of the icons of the entertainment world, who, and she's to this day still a, uh, a mentor of mine. So, you know, everyone thought I would be a lifer in entertainment. I worked at the intersection of brands and talent and worked with names in film, TV, and music, facilitated a lot of brand partnerships, established a lot of owned brands, and really introduced a number of talent to sort of like the world as they were starting their careers. And in 2018, I was working in my previous role overseeing marketing at Philly Mac, which is a hybrid model between talent management, production company, and all, they also have a portfolio of investments. So working there really broadened my horizon of like, wait a minute, there's a world outside of entertainment. And it was during that time that I'd been talking to Minjay Orms, who is Visible Current CMO. 
And, you know, she shared with me that she was leaving Visible to go to Denver and build this new company under the Verizon umbrella. And a couple of months I heard from her again and she was like, look, I'm doing this thing and I'm taking a chance on myself. Do you want to join me and do the, do this with us? And I didn't even blink when we had this, the conversation. And like you said, I jokingly say that I went rogue a little bit, you know, left a career and an industry that I'd spent many, many, many years. It's one of those decisions where admittedly, there were a lot of people who advised me against. A lot of people said, look, you've really um, built a lot of brand equity in the entertainment industry with the network that I had, the clients that I represented. And so, so a lot of people, including a lot of my mentors, told me not to do it. And I did. And I think to this day, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. What's interesting about your background is, and we'll get to that in a moment, but it really is good to bring together entertainment and brand story. That really is where everything is at that intersection these days. And your brand, you know, Visible, is wired literally to watch trends, um, encourage talent. What is the talent that you bring with you to Visible? I think initially the talent that I brought was sort of like the hustle mentality and scrappiness and, and being a creative thinker and problem solver. Growing up, if you will, in the entertainment industry, your, your brain sort of gets wired in a way that you're always, always thinking of new opportunities and identifying them. And if you're working with talent, just like a brand, you're building these personalities from the ground up. So that was one of the biggest similarities between my previous work and then coming into Visible. But I also think that I am, you know, very tireless in my approach. And in addition to some of the relationships that I brought with me to Visible, you know, when it came to, you know, establishing talent partnerships and things like that, I would say the biggest thing was a tireless uh, mentality and, I think the network that you build, especially in a job, truly, truly matters. So when I was going through my rounds of interviews at Visible, I remember even in talking with Minjay or our former CEO, I, you know, I had to come to the table with a lot of humility. And I was like, look, I don't know. I don't speak this language. I don't know anything about the industry. And it was a very humbling experience because you walk out of one door where you've spent, again, a very long time with, within an industry. You have a huge network, know everyone. And then you walk into through another door where you don't know a single person, don't speak the language. And I'm really, really grateful that um, the leadership at Visible, one, gave me a lot of grace and patience for me to sort of learn the industry and build a little bit of a network. And I remember in those early days, I used to sit with, you know, my leadership or our head of strategy and his team and say, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And explain things to me. And they just were incredibly patient with me and they really believed in me, which is something that is just a culture of visible people really, you know, we have incredibly brilliant people who work at the company, but beyond that, once you're a part of the family, you have a network of people who really champion you. So, so those were some of the things. And, you know, I had a very steep learning curve. There were definitely moments where I was like, I don't know, everyone told me not to do this. Did I make the right decision? And the answer to that, you know, back then was yes. And it's still very much a yes. But, you know, in addition to that, when you were talking about the marriage between entertainment and tech and startups, I think the two worlds view the other one as very attractive because one can help leverage the other. 
So in 2020, Dan Levy, who's the star and creator of Shet's Creek, he became the face of the brand. And then he obviously is having a very huge moment. And then this year we did a pretty significant partnership with Kevin Bacon. So we've been able to bring a lot of those uh, relationships in-house and, and sort of bring them to life. Beyond those marquee relationships from a talent and influencer standpoint, Taylor and my team who leads those efforts is really, really intentional and deliberate about the types of talent we work with, how do we formulate these relationships with them and how do we extend them? And also most importantly, how do we measure them? It's amazing because you have so many people who are at the top of their game for what they do and being willing to slide down that hill and climb another mountain and have to relearn something that takes a lot Yeah. as well. It's really interesting to have the humility to be able to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So many of us don't want to say that, especially in a professional situation. You're the boss. You're the expert. You're supposed to know. And being able to say, I don't know. There's a lot of freedom in that, actually, because you can then bring your expertise into a new area. And one plus one sometimes equals three. You were working with Kevin Bacon, you mentioned. A lot of us are six degrees away. Now, hey, guess what, Peggy? We're, we're literally yeah. one degree yes, away or two degrees away. I don't know if you count one person as one degree or two. I'm not sure. But what did you do with Kevin Bacon and why were you working with him? So he starred in our TV spot earlier this year. And one of the reasons that we wanted to, to work with him is because one, you know, he has huge, huge awareness from, from a mass standpoint. And then beyond that, we worked with our agency, Madwell, who identified him as the right brand match for us. And then we reached out to him and everything went from there. But, you know, he's very, as you know, he's very brand friendly, very personable, obviously has had a very pedigreed career. And and we just, you know, we always say we want to work with people who have not just the brand engagement, but also personal brand credibility people who walk the walk when it comes to impact that's really important to us and you know and people who are, who are willing to have fun when it comes to creativity because as a newish still brand that's really really important to us and he sort of checked all of those boxes and he started in the spot for us uh, it was a play on six degrees like you just said and it's become wildly popular and has created a lot of chatter and word of mouth What would you give as advice to CMOs who are looking at doing something similarly? And that might be at a very high level with a Hollywood star. That might be at a lower level with an influencer, right? Those brand marketing partnerships, they're they're critical. How do you find the right one with the right brand equity and make that equation work that the one plus one isn't just two, but it is three? Yes. Um, that's a really great question. So, so the visible model is that we never go into a relationship with a one and done mindset. I think that's a little bit old school when it comes to brand and talent partnerships. And it's never, we, we never want to confine ourselves to that because you have to give enough breathing room for not only for the talent to get to know your brand, but also for their audience to, to sort of understand and remember the connection between that person and the brand as well and get to know the brand through that person. So the way that we usually approach the relationships is through, first of all, we do a lot of social listenings. We do a lot of sort of research and study on their personal brands, their followers, their communities really pay attention to what they talk about, but more importantly, how do they again walk the walk when it comes Mm. to, 
critical topics and things that are really important. So it's usually a multi-content um, partnership and approach. And we never want to approach a campaign or partnership as a for the moment thing. It has to be, you know, for example, we just did a pretty significant campaign for Pride. A number of the talent that we worked with as a part of that campaign were folks that we'd worked with many times before. So the second we brought this up to them, not only did we use some of them as a sort of like informal advisory board, but the second that we approached them, they were like, yep, I know this is just who you guys are. It's in your DNA. Count me in. And then a lot of them advised us on some of the strategies. So it's really about building a a relationship with a lot of depth and an, in an integrated way from day one, but then also measuring the success of it in real time and watching the KPIs and watching the conversions, whatever those are built around, and then continuing to build from there. Nice. So I have to ask the question, if you're talking about KPIs, I won't go too far down into the weeds, but it is a very big problem and a, an interesting challenge in the industry. You know, how do you measure the impact of influence? So I have to pick up on that one, Pearl. So absolutely. As a new, again, newer brand, we've only been around for three years. The most important thing when it comes to influencer and talent partnership for us is having their support and leveraging the partnership to create brand awareness, education, and validation. So sort of having them carry the narrative of the brand and tell the brand story to their communities. And so that's one of the biggest KPIs is around awareness. And then other things like share of voice, direct brand engagement with their communities and, and our brand. So those three, I would say, are the biggest um, three components. I know you're right. When it comes to influencer partnerships, it's a very, very hot topic of what matters and doesn't. But for us, I think, and I have to give credit again to Taylor and my team, I think we've really figured out the secret sauce with what the value is and mm -hmm. how do we do it? You know, this is the most important thing in a credible and genuine way when it comes to establishing these relationships. I got to pick up on that too, Peggy. That was a great question. I'm glad you asked that. And the question that, that I have that kind of follows out of that is, I'm brand new to your brand. That's the case for many people for mobile brands. Mm -hmm. They come to somebody in there this first time ever. How many hits do they have to have of seeing your brand from Kevin Bacon or from some lower level influencer or whatever before it becomes kind of something that you get to the consideration phase? You, you might get there lucky on the first try, but you know, is it, is it more often like three to five? What is, what's that number? It's multiple. It, it's more than five, especially for a newer brand. Let's be honest. We're all, all overly stimulated. There's so much content out there. There are so many brands out there. So you have to be incredibly thoughtful about how you're breaking through what your narrative is and what your content is. And most importantly, ensuring that there's a connective tissue between all of these different components and all of your creative and messaging and the strategies so that I, as a consumer, if I see this brand, let's say on a billboard, and then in a week, I see a TV spot and two weeks later, I see something on Instagram, I instantly start to know, wait a minute, this is the same brand that I saw over there and now here and now here. And then that's how the brand will go into your consideration set. But I think consistency is more important than anything. It's quality over quantity in ensuring that 
you're sort of saying the same story and the same narrative channel appropriate, obviously, but within all of your different mediums in your marketing ecosystem. So it is multiple times, but it's all about efficiency, right? Telling the story in the right way and then capturing the consumers or the prospects attention immediately in the right way as well. Love it. Love it. Love it. Vivian Chen, who we interviewed recently from Clorox calls that surround sound marketing. Exactly. Yeah. And what I also love about this is the principles. This is something that has consistency. You're talking about the long term. You know, there are a number of brands. We won't name them, John, but we do know them where it's like, oh, this is hot. Let's do this this week. Uh, And this is not the case here at all. This is a strategy and this is well thought out. What's interesting for me is that you foster an ongoing relationship with the influencers and you're concerned about that match and you're focused on that. But I'd like to understand how you're also listening to your customers. The biggest thing that I should point out about Visible is that we're a community-centric brand. So when I say community, I mean our members, our immediate and extended communities, so folks on the digital sphere that we connect with in various ways, our influencer partners, our business partners, even our internal team members, everything that we do is centralized on this notion of community. And I know that, as you know, a lot of brands tend to say that because it's a really critical component of of what and who you are as a brand. And when I sort of look at the work that we've done and where we sit today, I'm hugely proud to be able to say with confidence that Visible is truly a community-centric brand. And if you look at our whole ecosystem, That extends to our product output. So when you look at a product like Party Pay, which is unlike anything that exists in the industry, you find each other online and through these communities and then share a phone service, right? So there's that element of trust without, you know, John and I don't know each other. I saw his Party Pay link on Facebook and decided to join because so there's that sort of undertone of trust. In, in the product output and what we're building from that standpoint, but then our, also our social impact work, the way that we show up for our members, the way that we, you know, to your point, engage and work with our influencers. It's all about truly listening and taking in the information and then action planning around it. So you mentioned party pay, and that is something, it's not just an offer, it's almost a movement, if you think about it, because you've brought people together from around the country in communities where they wouldn't normally be. Explain a little bit or unpack that a little bit for us what that offer is. So party pay is unlike anything that exists in the wireless industry. It is a no strings attached shared unlimited data plan where you can come into a party and these parties have the coolest names. You, you can come into a party and share, share the savings, but not your phone bill or the data. So each person in a party is responsible for their own bill, right? You're not liable to someone else or you're not accountable to someone else. Each person pays for their own bill and you share the savings. So four people and above is $25 a month. And the number of people who can join a party, it's unlimited. There is no cap on it. So as you can imagine, folks uh, within these social communities have a lot of fun with these parties. Like, you know, when it comes to sharing their links and their invite codes and things like that and naming these parties. And we've started to really um, personify and contextualize these parties. So for example, one of them is, I think it's it's the bikers 
bikers group and our social team made actual bikers jackets and as a surprise and delight tactic send these jackets to these members and then you know we've done sweatshirts for one of the other groups and we've done different things just to sort of play on the name of the parties but you know it's really really incredible i can't tell you the number of times when i go into our subreddit groups or the facebook groups and i see people the amount of engagement that happens around party pay and people connecting with each other starting parties together joining parties together and you know it just it it just reminds you and is a lot of perspective that for a for a service that's traditionally known as a utility for us to create this really really warm and engaging interaction and community sort of like uh, community centric world it's really truly unheard of right and it just reminds me that when you're dealing with something that has a lot of quality and with a really really strong and compelling product that people will be attracted to it and you know some of these members have become our biggest brand champions which is more valuable than any marketing channel that that a brand can hope for. So we're really, really proud of the product, but also I would say equally as importantly, the communities that we've built through the product as well. That's really, um, it's, it's really, really heartwarming to see. That's a great segue because I want to get into the topic of the competitive space that you're in, uh, which is telecoms. And guess what? Um, this is not a space that people typically associate with warm, fuzzy feelings, <laughs> community, yeah. or anything like that. It's a pretty conservative, it's a very competitive space. And, you know, I, I probably can't say this about your customers, but for many uh, carriers, no one likes them. No one is super happy that they're dealing with their carrier and giving them a certain amount of money every month, especially when they have to get in touch with them to get service or whatever. It's also a classic zero-sum game. Somebody gains a subscriber, somebody loses one. It's not like even streaming, you know, media, connected TV from your old universe where, you know, I could have five services, right? So how do you foster loyalty and retention? I think, John, 100% it's in the way that we show up as a brand. Everything that we do is done with a lot of care and thought. And I think that goes back to the, the type of people who work at Visible. Everyone leads with a lot of heart and with a lot of compassion and care for both the brand and what we're building, but also for our customers and our prospects, right? And the social work that we do, you know, the brand, as you've seen, it's cool and hip and witty and engaging and inviting and all of the above. And we have incredibly high numbers for our social sentiment, for our NPS scores, these are things that you have to pay attention to day in and day out. So the type of content that we put out, the types of stories that we tell, how we respond to our consumers, on what channels, when, all of those things really, really matter to every single person who works at the company. And for me personally, I think one of our biggest assets at Visible, it is the employees who work there, 100%. Uh, culture is everything, as you know. And it won't um, earlier, you know, you mentioned hopping on a bandwagon for moment in time sort of campaigning. That's something that we stay far, far away from. So if an idea feels cool, but it doesn't feel right, we won't pursue it. Or if an engagement tactic feels, you know, 
funny and hip, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning and depth behind it. We won't do it. I remember early on when I first joined the company, I think at that point, Visible had launched about four or five months ago. It was it was during the holiday a few years ago. And I remember one of our members, one of our customers had found our office address and come there to drop off Christmas presents, pastries for all of oh. us with a huge thank you note. And I was like, and I remember that was my first aha moment about the type this of is not normal. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. And it's true. Like these, you know, it's true. It's like uh, that was the first aha moment for me for uh, tied to the type of brand we were building. And we have numerous examples of members who reach out to us proactively just to say, you know, my wireless carrier has never, let alone any brand has never treated me this way. Right. So it's like, you, I think Peggy and I were talking about this the other day. We're all consumers, right? And we're all very smart. And we all have to make very smart choices when it comes to consumption and, and what we're purchasing and what we're integrating into our lives. So if a brand doesn't show up or behave in a sincere and genuine way, you know, consumers know that right away. Like we all know those signs right away, right? So with us, is it just all goes back to having a sincere and genuine approach. You know what your KPIs are, you know what your objectives are, but you build the sort of campaigns and tactics and plans that truly allow you to connect with the consumer. And especially as, as a digital brand, we could have easily lost sight of that, of that emotional connection with our members, but it's something that we just remind ourselves of, of every day. I love that, John. You hear it again and again. We could do a series of just that. You know, serving, not selling, being yeah. authentic, being honest, being upfront. We're doing this series now and we're talking to some of the top CMOs and we're going to continue to talk to them. And this comes through again and again. Yeah. Now, you talk about your services, your marketing, but what's interesting in your marketing story is that you didn't start marketing right away, right? You waited a few years and when you did it, wow, it looks like you were writing this playbook because you came up with the visible acts of kindness. I'd love to hear about that. I'd love to hear about what inspired it because you have all of these stories shareable on social media. That's gold right there. They're sincere, even better. Even better for everyone watching this, perhaps, minimum budget, but maximum results. Tell me what happened there. Early on, we did really, really cool and unheard of and unique in, in real life experiential activations because we, we knew from day one as we were building and launching the brand that even as a digital brand, you have to have physical touch points where a consumer or a prospect can get to know you in various physical settings, right? So experiential and IRL has been a part of our DNA from day one and various, you know, mostly digital. We really, really lean into digital strategies. So that's been a part of our ecosystem from the very beginning. And then we started to do a little bit of TV and various tactics like that. But with Visible Acts of Kindness, the campaign was created over the course of, I think, 48 hours last year. When the pandemic first happened, as you both know, it was a moment of, we were, we were all unclear about what this thing was, right? What is it? What does it mean? When does it end? How are we all going to be impacted? And the impact was pretty clear very quickly early on. And 
you know, as a brand, we did everything that every other brand should be doing. You know, we engaged in some impact-driven work. We gave support to our consumers who weren't able to pay their bills. So through various different channels, we showed up and, and expressed our support in this time of, hey, we must all hold hands and, and see what the outcome of this thing is, right? One of the things that we did, which was led by our CRM team, was we did a comps to our members you know, very standard. This is what's happening. This is what we're doing. If you need support with your bill, let us know. And then at the very, very end of this very long comms, there was half a sentence that just said, and by the way, let us know how you're doing. We want to hear from you. Just, just reach out and let us know. And admittedly, I had a lot of hesitation around it. I was like, you know, guys, no one's going to respond to this thing. You know, why, why are we doing it? And it was a very humbling moment for me because we ended up doing it and we immediately heard from thousands of our members who said, thank you for asking me how, how I'm doing. No brand ever does this. The simple, how are you asking it and really being interested in hearing the answer just really, really spoke volumes to the folks who had received that comms. So once we saw that and saw the vulnerability, we, we quickly went back on the social channels. As a digital brand, you're always doing social listening. And we saw that a lot of people were talking about just how quickly the pandemic had impacted their lives, you know, whether it was separating families or, you know, loss of employment, things like that. But then as people were sharing their stories, there were others who were reaching out to them and saying, hey, I saw this story. I want to help you DM me or let's connect. And through just sort of all of these observations, we created the Visible Acts of Kindness campaign. And the essence of the whole thing was to encourage and support and champion and promote stories and acts of kindness, both given and received. We quickly partnered with a set of notables and influencers like Chef Emerald and Padma Lakshmi and several other people. And we were like, hey, let's engage all of our communities and drive a little bit of positivity in this time of uncertainty. And I think we had over 13,000 uh, stories of kindness over 2 million people engaged in the campaign organically, you know, impressions were through the roof. But more importantly, we had a number of people who were reaching out to us proactively to say, I've never seen a brand color outside the lines like this. I remember the gentleman who is um, Oprah Winfrey and President Obama's chef, or he was at a time, he reached out to us and said, hey, I saw this through my network on social. How can I join? And, so, you know, we wow. had several, yeah. Several other examples like that. And, you know, obviously sentiment, brand sentiment went through the roof, but we didn't ask for anything in return. And we surprised some of the folks who shared their stories with, with Amazon gift cards, but we never asked for anything. We just said, you know, it, it wasn't about, hi, we're visible and this is who we are, or hey, we'll do this for you if you give us a follow. None of those things. It was all done with a lot of kindness and with a lot of sincerity and, and people really, really responded to that. So, you know, I can give you a million examples of that, where as a brand, when you show up with sincerity, people will respond to it. So. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, just two questions left. I think here, your founding vision was to create clearly differentiated and segmented opportunities for a diverse audience. That sounds great. Everybody wants to do it. How do you actually make it real, clearly differentiated, segmented opportunities for different people? 
I think for us, it goes back to the approach in marketing and really understanding the consumers. So we have a research and analysis team who are constantly studying and doing research around consumer behavior, both our immediate members, but also our prospects, you know, behaviors, consumption habits, life habits. What do they like? What are they into? What are they not? And almost all the creative that we do and all the campaigns that we work on is really bespoke to sort of various audience groups. In a lot of the creative output that you see from the brand, you'll see a lot of togetherness, communities, people being together. So I think that's something that also resonates with folks. Inclusivity, whether it comes to the creative output, our messaging, a product like Party Pay or our social impact work is something else that's a hugely integral part of the brand and who we are. So those are all the various uh, elements within which we're able to establish a direct personal and emotional connection with, with the consumers. Yeah. So it's very much segmentation. If I understand this, it's, it's segmentation through creative. Segmentation through creative strategy, messaging, impact work, influencer mm -hmm. partnerships, how we show up on social, every single channel. Yeah. And even think about it, you know, when it comes to a product like Party Pay, we're seeing that a lot of these groups and a lot of these folks who are finding each other on the various com digital communities are joining these parties based on shared interests and commonalities. So it starts with that and then it becomes about, all right, so now what should we name this party, right? So, so there's a lot here to think about. We've talked about empathy. We've talked about consistency. There's a lot of brand wisdom that you're sharing for other CMOs. But I want to leave us here with wisdom of a different kind because you're a leader in the marketing industry but you're also a role model for many young women in the business. And you have a very interesting sort of career path yourself, as I understand. You're from Tehran, so you bring a sort of the immigrant uh, experience with you as well. And, and that challenge, that overcoming that. So there's a lot of ways that you can give some wisdom to perhaps either industry newcomers or even women in the industry? What would you like to leave us with? What's a go-to piece of advice? Be fearless and don't doubt yourself. I think sometimes the best advice that someone gives you um, may end up becoming the worst advice you get, right? So you have to trust yourself and you have to trust your instincts and you have to have a strong work ethic, never question yourself, and again, be fearless. And get, always, always give yourself a chance and bet on yourself. Wow. Wow. Well, Pearl, thank you so much for joining us on Clever Tap Engage. We really do appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. I will say, Pearl, thank you so much for your time and also, of course, for sharing and your insights at the end. Absolutely universal. And of course, for our audience, if you're watching the video, check out the audio podcast, which is easy to consume on the go. And if you're on the audio version, hey, it's the other way around. Search for us on YouTube to chill and watch wherever you want. And this podcast is about finding the world's best marketers and getting their top tips, just like we just did. If you fit the bill, hey, ping Peggy or me on Twitter or LinkedIn, and let's get you set up for your own show. Until next time, this is John Kutsir. And this is Peggy Ann Saltz for Clever Town Engage. <laughs> <laughs>